everybody, Kevin Grossman, president of Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards. We've got another great virtual conference coming up June 15th and 16th, all about creating and sustaining an inclusive candidate experience, why DEI strategies and tactics are critical to competitive recruiting and hiring today. And we have Melissa Majors and Dr. Shirley Davis, who are keynoters for this event and many other great speakers and sessions. So highly recommend that you register. You can go to the talentboard.org slash events and find the June 15th and 16th conference and register for free today. And don't forget, our benchmark research program is still open. Plenty of time to participate in our research, and that's open through the end of August of this year. Enjoy the podcast. Oftentimes they have not cast their net wide enough. The other thing is that they don't realize that there is talent in multiple places with multiple organizations. I tell them too, if you go to not only colleges and universities, but if you expand your reach into various communities, underserved markets, if you look at even just going into minority organizations, if you go online, you'll find that we are all over the place. And I can say we, because I am that person of color. I am from that underrepresented group. You're listening to the Candy Shop Talk podcast brought to you by Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards Benchmark Research and hosted by Kevin W. Grossman. Talent Board is the first nonprofit research organization focused on elevating and promoting a quality candidate experience. The Candy Shop Talk podcast welcomes Dr. Shirley Davis, author of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Dummies, a global workforce expert, a three-time chief diversity and inclusion officer, and the president of SDS Global Enterprises. Listen in on how improving candidate experience impacts recruiting and the business bottom line. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for joining me on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. You are the author of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Dummies and What If a global workforce expert, a three-time chief diversity and inclusion officer, and you're also the president at SDS Global Enterprises. But before we dive in to the rest of this podcast, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do today in the context of what I just outlined. Yes, thank you. It's good to be here, Kevin. So thrilled to be a part of this podcast. So I have the opportunity to work with organizations and leaders all around the world, helping them to build cultures of inclusion, belonging, high performance, and a place where all talent can thrive because talent now is much more diverse and we're living in a much more global workforce. And they come with different needs and expectations and backgrounds and, and just different and unique aspects of their identity. And so it's important for leaders to build the competencies and to have the skill sets and be able to have the right kind of policies and strategies in place where everyone that comes into the workplace can do their best work and bring their most authentic self. So that's one part of my life. And then the other part is I'm a master of reinvention. I wrote the book called Living Beyond What If and also Reinvent Yourself. And I help people as a licensed life coach, I help them to truly maximize who they are and to become the best version so that they show up every day feeling confident and comfortable in their own skin and living their own life in their own dreams. That last part is wonderful only because for the past two plus years now, we've all gone through dramatic, well, not everybody, but a lot of people have gone through dramatic changes and their own existential crises is what I call it. So like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Where am I at? I mean, the, the pandemic alone, besides the social unrest, I mean, the list goes on of things that, I would argue we're already changing in the world, but slowly. 
And then this like was a super accelerator of change and continues to be because we're even though we we all want to pretend that the pandemic's over and it is not over. That's not it's not over. And, you know, I was one of those believers and in, in experiences of that disruption. And I think you were right in the first place. I think that everyone felt some level of disruption in their life. Some people pivoted a little bit better. Others were a bit taken aback and it just it captured them in a way that they had to kind of, you know, they became complacent and stagnant and, sh- and shock and fear and, and that kind of thing. But you're right. Everyone was affected by it in some way. And I think you're right, too, that there's just been a lot of unrest. And it wasn't only the pandemic of 2020. We've been experiencing disruption for a long time, you know, demographically, economically, politically, socially, and, you know, and even in our own personal lives. So there's a lot happening. And even technology causes us to shift in and experience disruption. Well, we're going to look forward to hearing from you soon too at our virtual conference in June. I'm excited about it. Yeah, so the 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 conference we've titled it I always have super long titles. That's just that's the way I roll. The Creating and Sustaining an Inclusive Candidate Experience: Why DEI Strategies and Tactics Are Critical to Competitive Recruiting and Hiring Today. That is going to be the conference we've got. You're one of our keynotes. We're super excited to have you and you're going to be talking about the stop saying why we can't find any diverse talent. I like this a lot because, you know, we've seen high profile business leaders in the, over the past few years, talk about how they can't find people that they need much less diverse people that they need. And we just know that it's just not true anymore, especially now with remote work and flexibility, being able to look for people in areas you never would have hired before if you can provide that kind of work too. So whatever the case is, why do we keep saying we can't find diverse talent? Why? Yeah, you're right. That's not a new concept, but it certainly is a fallback for a lot of um, leaders that I work with. And when I get to, you know, doing audits and focus groups and I talk to them a little bit more and get deeper and find out why that's the, the reason and the sentiment is because their sourcing and recruiting strategies are very limited. Oftentimes they have not cast their net wide enough. The other thing is that they don't realize that there is talent in multiple places with multiple organizations. I tell them too, if you go to not only colleges and universities, but if you expand your reach into various communities, underserved markets, if you look at even just going into minority organizations. If you go online, you'll find that we are all over the place. And I can say we, because I am that person of color. I am from that underrepresented group. And yes, we are out there. We're looking for jobs. As oftentimes I find that clients aren't looking in the right places and they're limiting their scope, but they also bring too many biases and prejudices in there as well too. And they look for a certain pedigree or a certain profile that is mostly like them, or they want someone who can fit in and be a part of sort of that dominant group and that's where we missed the boat homogeneity is easier when we think about and more comfortable and not only for marginalized groups people of color we're talking about also neurodivergency we're talking about veterans we're talking about us older folks us older gen xers and above that i mean there's so much uh people that are out there even though right now though even with kind of hiring cooling a little bit that we're kind of hearing and seeing it's still very much a candidate market there's still so many jobs that are open with this only this many 
available and interested candidates too that are because there's been there's still people that have not never gone back to the workforce i mean it's very complex and we could go on about that but let's then talk about so based on that answer that you just gave us you wrote this book diversity equity and inclusion for dummies i'm not trying to suggest anything at all by asking this question but why'd you make this a dummies book as we've seen there's a whole series of these right That's around right. Yeah, a variety of topics almost three thousand of them but why did you why why did you go down that path i'm just curious yeah well actually they found me which was a, a, a honor right and because of my experience and having that 30 plus years of experience as a practitioner so i've worked in every area of hr been a chief diversity officer for global organizations for a long time and they wanted someone who could bring that practical experience the reason i chose to align myself with the dummies brand which i had that you know, initial reaction as well for dummies right that's sort of counterintuitive to what we talk about relative to inclusion and belonging but when you look at the source and you consider their history and you understand what their brand is all about, it really is about learning made easy. And it's not about any one of us calling anyone dumb more than it is about us ourselves identifying as being unlearned or just being you know, ignorant about certain issues and we want to learn. So there's cooking for dummies and science for dummies, but there's never been a book out of the almost 3000 of dummy series that talks specifically about this. So I was honored to do it. I recognize their brand and there's multiple definitions of dummies you know, and we use dummies even when we're learning CPR. We use them for other lab things that we're learning in science classes. So look, there's multiple definitions, but for me, it really means that we have to learn how to, in every one of us, leaders at every level, we have to learn how to work more effectively across differences. And this book allows us to learn that. This book gives us that insight and it gives us tips and strategies and very practical ways that we can all lead and work more effectively with diversity. And we're giving away 20 copies at our conference June 15th and 16th too. So we're happy to do that. And I think I agree with you. I think it's it's always been a good hook, the dummies uh, brand, but the reality of it is just making learning more accessible. That thing, that's the whole the whole point of, of that series. So, and it's great. So give us some examples then about how you help give HR and TA leaders a deeper understanding of the business impact of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, having been in this role for a number of years and having had to build so many business cases around DEI, um, you know, I've been able to really apply it. So one is just helping them to understand how the world of work is changing and how it can help their business better serve their customers, their clients, their members, their patrons, but also to help them to see there is value in diversity of thought and various perspectives. They come up with ideas that you know they might not have thought of when they're working with a very very homogeneous group. And there's so much research out there that I utilize that talks about the power of having a much more diverse uh, group of leaders and, and workers that are working on projects that help you to come up with better solutions and better outcomes. That's one part. I also do assessments, right? I want to help leaders understand the power of having a more inclusive workplace as well. So when we do employee engagement surveys and we do focus groups, we're hearing about the employee's experience as it relates to inclusion and belonging. And that helps us to be able to work with those leaders to say, you have people that are highly engaged and they're going to stay. They're going to, they're, they're motivated. They want to do their best work. Or the opposite of that is you've got a real problem here and you have a good number of employees that are underrepresented 
that do not feel a part of the company. They don't feel invited to the table. They don't feel heard and they certainly don't feel valued. So there's work there to be done. And then the last piece of that is looking at the marketplace and recognizing that your customers are also changing and they want to work work, and they want to do business with organizations that represent them, that can relate to them, that understand their needs and that will give them the kind of service that really aligns with their values, but also their expectations. So there's so many different ways that we help leaders understand why this is so important. That said, what about the individual contributor then? You, you, so we're talking about what business leaders need to do for their, their employees, for example, and how and the programs that you provide. But what can we do as individual contributors to improve our own sense of belonging? Besides the obvious of like, I'm out, which we've been seeing happen a lot millions of people over the past you know six to 12 months that and and continue to to play musical chairs and say i i don't want to be here anymore and leave beyond that part what else can we do to be help ourselves be seen and heard yeah that's right and so individual contributors i also consider to be leaders they may not be people leaders but they're leading projects and initiatives and if they're influencers and they can help with problem solving and and helping come to some solutions with business challenges they are in a position every one of us kevin has the opportunity to foster a culture of inclusion and belonging some simple things that we can all do to contribute to that kind of culture and that environment and to do our own work is first of all I always say too, check yourself and understand where you're your own biases and prejudice are. You know, just go back and re, re, just revisit some of the ways that you've been socialized and the things that you think about people who are different from you. Engage with people who are not the same, who don't look the same, who don't think the same. And I always say broaden your network so you can broaden your perspective and have a more global worldview. But the other part of it is too is, you know, take some of the training, the education, be a part of some of the conversations that are going on in many organizations and start to learn and start to do your own self-assessment of where you are and what are some of your gaps? How do you feel when you're having some of those conversations? What makes you uncomfortable? Why do they make you uncomfortable? Those are all the kinds of things that I think that we can do, but certainly let's be as authentic as we can and engage in our own personal learning journey. And that's not easy. I know, it's really uncomfortable. And it's not easy because we've, of how isolated we've been the past two years two plus years, right? So that, that, and as well as how polarized we've become, which again, isn't new, but the super accelerator really accelerated that. But I think that you're right though. I think the important thing is that we, and I, and I've, I've heard this said before, and I, this is my feeling on it. When we, when we have people or you've heard the, the thing like, you know, your workplace is like your family. I don't really believe that, but what I do believe is that you need to be able to communicate with people that you do work with, whether you're remote, in person, whatever the, the role is, in order to help grow and sustain the company. I mean, that's just the, that's just the reality of it. And you've got to be able to, to understand um, differences. You don't have to agree on, on things outside of the workplace, but you have to be able to, to communicate on some level. And that's something that I think we're, we're figuring out again. <laughs> Yeah, and we not only have to be able to understand each other, we have to listen, right? And we have to listen with intent to learn and to hopefully, 
get a better awareness of us as well as them, right? And then I think the other part of it is, yeah, you're right. I agree with you too. It's not necessarily about us living together like a family because there is a lot of dynamics there, but we should have a level of mutual trust and understanding and ability to collaborate and even the ability to disagree and to have conflict and do it in a healthy way that allows us to come up with better solutions and outcomes as well. I wanted to jump to some of our research. So every year we do benchmark research around the candidate experience. And to date, we've been doing this for over 11 years now on an annual basis and have surveyed over 1.25 million candidates. This last year, that was the first time that we added some demographics to our research. So usually every year we always ask what the, and these are all optional for the candidates to answer. It's all anonymous as well, but you know, gender and generation identify with one of those. What are what gender you are and what generation you identify with. But then we also added a race and ethnicity, which we hadn't had to date. And one of the things that we found in our research is that women, younger candidates and people of color all had significantly higher positive candidate experiences. Mm, that's great. Yeah, it was. It was great to see. It wasn't really, I mean, based on what we know and see, it wasn't that surprising to us. But what about to you? Was that, is that surprising to you? And, and if, if not, why not? You know, it's not surprising, Kevin, and I'll tell you why. Having led recruiting for 10 years, that's when I think more companies are, they, they are on their better behavior. They're on their best behavior. You're, you're sourcing and you want to put on your, you know, you put your best foot forward and you know that this is a competitive market and you have to really ensure that you are giving them a really good experience from start to finish until they come in and go through the onboarding and off and uh, onboarding and orientation. But here's where I find the opportunity where more companies need to work towards closing gaps. It's not so much about you know the experience itself being recruited and hired. It is when I come on my first 90 to 120 days is that I want to make sure too that. I am feeling that sense of belonging. I'm feeling connection. I'm getting the resources and the support that I need, the equipment, the, you know, the systems and all of that are in place and that I don't get, you know, just kind of left behind. So that's where I would think you, when you do, if you do any other research, you start to look at, okay, candidate experience. And then once they come on, what's been your employee experience for your first, you know, six months or so, because that's where I'm seeing some drop off and fall off and disengagement. People come in and very excited when they're being recruited and, you know, we like we want to share all of these things but sometimes there's a disconnect between what we're selling you and what we ought to oftentimes see them experience when they get there well and that's that and uh, hence why we've seen so many people yes what one of, one of yes. yeah one of many reasons of why they're picking up pulling up their stakes and moving on uh, whatever that is uh, moving to another company doing something entrepreneurial whatever the case is and it's de definitely why we we see that what's interesting is that and just as a, as a brief uh, aside we're going to be engaging in our own kind of review so you you know you've heard of the fortune 100 best places to work oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. and so and that's great because they do it's, it's they it's based on employee experience surveys um, it's based on um, lots of great data behind when they determine who those top 100 companies are but we're gonna kind of flip it because we're interested to say does the candidate experience align with that for them so the other kind of flipping that in reverse and doing some of our own review on what it's like to first research and apply before I become an employee at this company that is a best place to work. And, you know, our hypothesis is that for the most part, we should see some alignment because, well, we should. 
I, but we don't know what we're going to find yet either. <laughs> right. right. So we'll wait and see. That's something that we're going to do over the summer and, and release in the fall. Now, talent acquisition is, is extremely critical to the business always has been. Unfortunately, and even to, in the today's market, there's too many business leaders that still view TA as order takers. And we know that when there's a downturn, recruiting's the first to go. And when there's an upturn, it's the first to come back frenetically. But it, but sometimes it's not always viewed as strategic for the business when it is. And it always should be, right? So what's one thing, important thing, that business leaders and managers should start doing to today just to ensure a positive and inclusive impact with recruiting and the business bottom line. What is something that you would share with business leaders? I would tell business leaders that recruiting is a part of their job as leaders, that that's something that they should not see as just HR's role or any role that the chief diversity officer should fill. But this is really a role that they should be filling as well. And I would have them be much more engaged and involved in both the sourcing and recruiting. I used to take business leaders with me to career fairs and taking the conferences because I want them to be able to show the importance of getting the talent that they want, but also going out there and being visible and showing the company's brand and the fact that we are in touch with our communities and that we really want them that bad. So yes, those are some of the things I would have them to do. And then certainly as a part of the selection process, I'd make sure that they understood the whole process of selection, but also not to have their biases be the thing that causes the disruption or the hope of not having talent that decides not to come because they were either asked inappropriate questions or because their leaders did not sell the company well. So they have to be a part of this. Agreed. Very, very well said. Thank you, Dr. Davis. So we're kind of rounding out this podcast and thank you so much again for being on. The, the last thing I like to ask all my guests is that we're always working all the time. Work, 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 always work. What else besides working does Dr. Davis like to do? Oh, so I do work a lot. I am extremely busy with the work we're doing, but you know what I have learned and I've done it over the last two years, Kevin, I've learned to sit more. I've learned to be still. I've learned to enjoy staycations. I moved to the Tampa Bay area from Washington DC about six years ago. And it was because I really did want to have a better quality of life. I did not want to be caught up in the long lines of traffic and the congestion and you know the high cost of living and everybody's kind of in a rush. When I moved to Tampa, I love, love, love the beaches. And so I'm five minutes from one of the best beaches in the country. And that's my happy place. And I absolutely love doing that. But I'm also, a, um, I love to veg sometimes, just vegetate on the couch and catch up on good movies and on HGTV. I, I binge on that. And I love to binge on some of these new Netflix and Hulu and Peacock and Discovery shows. And I walk, I'm a power walker. I don't know if I told you that, but I walk about six miles a day. So yeah, I got up this morning. I'll do about two or three miles in the morning and then I'll do the other two to three in the evening. So very nice. That's excellent. My wife and I are, are big walkers and hikers and we have also have a little dog that we walk every day as well. So that's great. Well, I love love all those things. And, and again, I know that you look forward to some downtime soon as well. But after our conference, after our conference. So thank you again, Dr. Davis, for being on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. We look forward to hearing from you at our conference, too, on June 16th for your keynote. And beyond that, have a great rest of your week. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being on. And I hope your audience will stay connected with me. I'm on LinkedIn and all the social media platforms. So thank you, Kevin, for having me. And thanks for this great conversation.
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Candy Shop Talk podcast. For more information about Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards and Benchmark Research, visit www.thetalentboard.org.